Immigration Advocates Network podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. Today we are talking with Adrian Dervartanian, Director of Immigration and Labor Rights at Farmworker Justice. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you, and um, thank you for having me here today. Sure. So why don't you describe for us your work and your background, as well as the work of your organization? Okay, great. So I am the Director of Immigration and Labor Rights at Farmworker Justice, and Farmworker Justice is a national advocacy organization for migrant and seasonal farm workers, and our mission is to empower migrant and seasonal farm workers to improve their living and working conditions, and that includes their immigration status, their health, their occupational safety, and their access to justice. So we work with farm workers and their organizations throughout the nation, as well as with legal services groups that represent farm workers and health clinics and other organizations that serve farm workers. Um, and we go about advocating for farm workers in a number of different ways. Um, we advocate with the administration and on Capitol Hill regarding policy to improve the situation for farm workers. We litigate on behalf of farm workers in the courts. And we work with farm workers and their organizations both to provide education and training and to provide capacity building around all of these issues. And of course, another key component of our work is the public face of the work and working through the media to improve education around farm workers and the challenges that they face and the contributions, the very important contributions that they make to our economy through the hard work they do every day, cultivating and harvesting all of the fruits, vegetables, and foods that we all enjoy in our daily tables. Mm. Um, and I came to Farm Worker Justice in 2005, and I have been working on immigration and labor issues since that time. And prior to that, I um, did some litigation on behalf of uh, low-income residents of D.C. and held a couple of other jobs, clerking and a fellowship. Thank you. And just so our audience understands, your background is not as an immigration practitioner, but in these other areas of, of, of work and advocacy. That's correct. Um, my focus is on policy um, around immigration and labor issues, which for farm workers often intersect because they are so integrally related. Right. And we thought to invite you today because you recently published a report, Unfinished Harvest, the Agricultural Worker Protection Act at 30, so I'm hoping that you can talk about the findings on the report and give us an overview and your organization's recommendations for policy changes and improvements. Yes, thanks very much for the opportunity to talk about this really important report. And um, just to provide a little bit of background information about what this law actually is, it's called the Migrant and Seasonal Agricultural Worker Protection Act. This is its 30th anniversary, or it was in 2013. And, um, Various groups refer to it actually as APA or MISPA. Um, those are two acronyms for the law. And this is a really important protection for farm workers um, that has a long history. I'll give a little bit of the history as well. Um, but to, to begin to give some context to this law and why it's so important, I wanted to start by saying that farm workers are actually excluded from many of the labor and employment protections that other workers enjoy. So for example, the overtime protections of the Fair Labor Standards Act do not apply to farm workers. And in fact, farm workers were excluded from all of the protections of the Fair Labor Standards Act initially and were only um, given the minimum wage protections. And even today, small employers still may not have to comply with the minimum wage protections for farm workers. 
The child labor laws for farm workers are different than for other child workers, even though agriculture is one of the most dangerous occupations. So children can work as young as 12 in agriculture and even younger in certain situations. Um, and the ability for children to work in hazardous occupations is actually greater than for other jobs, again, despite the very dangerous nature of the work. Farm workers are also not protected by the National Labor Relations Act, so they can be fired for seeking to join a union or even for attempting to organize or collectively bargain in the workplace. Uh, farm workers are also excluded from many of the occupational safety and health standards. So in fact, the regulations um, implementing OSHA exclude farm workers from almost all of the protections and then bring them back into um, very few of the protections. And then there are a few that are specifically addressing um, agricultural work. So in the face of all of these exclusions, um, one very important law for farm workers is the Migrant and Seasonal Agricultural Worker Protection Act. And this law was enacted in 1983, but there was a prior version of the law, which came about actually as a result of the very important documentary, Harvest of Shame, which um, the audience may be familiar with. As a result of that movie um, and the American public really seeing for the first time the conditions under which the agricultural workers who, who harvest our food live and work, there was such a national outrage that a law was passed to try to regulate uh, farm labor contractors. That law was subsequently evaluated, and it was determined that it was not adequately protecting farm workers. And as a result, the Migrant and Seasonal Agricultural Worker Act was, uh, was enacted. So the Migrant and Seasonal Agricultural Worker Protection Act has at its heart um, some key protections. Uh, one of the ideas of this is that it is regulating um, farm labor contractors. These are uh, individuals or groups or companies that hire farm workers directly and often may serve as intermediaries between the farm workers and the growers. Um, so the APA, I'm going to refer to it as APA, APA requires that farm labor contractors register with the Department of Labor and obtain a license. Um, it requires disclosure to farm workers about what their wages and working conditions are going to be. Um, it requires that payment of wages um, be due in full and on the day that they're due, that they be paid in full and on the day that they're due, and that there are payroll and record-keeping requirements as well. It also addresses housing standards and transportation safety, transportation safety being a very important issue because unfortunately there have been a number of accidents uh, which have involved high fatality rates for farm workers because they are transported oftentimes, for example, in a bus or the back of a truck in which all of the seats have been removed or there are just bare loose benches put into the vehicles. Um, so APA attempted to regulate and to put some protections into place in vehicles and similarly, housing um, has been so dismal in many instances that there were some attempts to put some um, protections around housing standards. Um, this freedom from retaliation, and, and one very, very important piece of the law is what's called joint employer liability. So in this, what this does is that it defines employment relations broadly so that 
the farm worker could have two or more employers that are jointly liable for all the violations. And what this really does is it says that the farmer is jointly liable with the farm labor contractor for the treatment of the worker. This is very important because farm labor contractors may not have the resources necessary to ensure that farm workers are paid adequately in the workplace as they may be bidding with each other for the grower's contract. So what this does is ensure that the person who's ultimately receiving the benefit of the work for the farm workers is responsible for the way that they're treated. And that's a very important protection under APA. Um, and then there's a private right of action under APA whereby workers can directly enforce the law on their own behalf, which is also very important. So those are some of the key provisions of APA. And what we did at Farm Worker Justice was to examine those provisions and their impact on farm workers. In doing so, we examined the law's historical and legislative background. We consulted court cases interpreting its provisions. And we interviewed and sought insight from leading farm worker advocates around the country. And the conclusion was that while the enactment of APA was an important step forward, wages and working conditions for farm workers are still inadequate. Farm workers still experience wage theft at a very high level. They live in dangerous housing. They're transported in very dangerous circumstances. And they suffer many other illegal employment practices. So our report takes a look at these failures. It also highlights some real valuable differences that APA has made. So for example, the joint employer liability provisions are universally viewed as a major achievement. Um, while the courts haven't always implemented it as consistently as desired, it has encouraged some growers to ensure that their farm labor contractors are complying with the law or to take over the payroll and other duties themselves to be, to be sure that they're done properly. Um, the record keeping and wage provisions are also really important protections that have been meaningful for farm workers. Um, in some parts of the country, the housing standards have really made a significant difference for farm workers. The private right of action, as I mentioned earlier, is an important piece of this law because without it, farm workers are not able to enforce the protections for themselves. And because of the limited resources that the Department of Labor has to enforce laws, um, it really is important for farm workers and their advocates to be able to bring actions where there are violations without having to rely on the government. Um, and so while there are, as I mentioned, these positive features of APA, and certainly it's an important protection, as I mentioned before, there's still a tremendous need for improvements. So um, I'd like to talk now about what some of those improvements are, but also address what some of the realities are for agricultural workers and why APA has failed to make the differences that we hoped it would make. So you know, there, I can break it down to three main reasons um, why there are such shortcomings of the substantive provisions of APA. And one major factor is the broken immigration system. The majority of farm workers are undocumented. There are roughly 2 million farm workers in our country, both field and livestock workers. And I would say the majority of those are undocumented. And the official statistic from the government is something around 
But in many areas, depending on the geographic region of the country and the crop, the, the rates may be anywhere up to 90% of the agricultural workforce is undocumented. And that means that these workers every day are fearful. They're fearful in the workplace. They're fearful, fearful in their homes. And when they encounter illegal working conditions, when they encounter wage theft, many, when they encounter sexual harassment and violence, uh, many of them are simply too fearful to come forward because not only are they afraid of being fired, they're afraid that they may be deported as a result of these challenges to illegal conduct. Uh, this impacts not only the undocumented workers, but it impacts the, the domestic U.S. workforce that works alongside these workers. Not only do these workers see the way that it impacts their undocumented colleagues, but they also recognize that if they complain about what's going on in the workplace, they can easily lose their jobs and be replaced by a worker who will be too fearful to speak up. So it really does have a broad impact on all agricultural workers. Another major factor is the lack of a credible threat of enforcement. So again, the Department of Labor has very limited resources for pursuing legal action, for, for doing investigations. There are um, legal aid programs around the country um, that serve farm workers. Unfortunately, um, because of uh, restrictions on the Legal Services Corporation funds, organizations that do receive those funds aren't able to represent undocumented workers. And because the majority of farm workers are undocumented, it really does limit the ability um, of legal services groups to represent farm workers who are suffering violations of the protections under the Migrant and Seasonal Agricultural Worker Protection Act. Um, private attorneys, um, it's very difficult to find private attorneys to bring these cases because the potential compensation is so low and there are no provisions for attorney's fees under the Migrant and Seasonal Agricultural Worker Protection Act. Um, so these features and in the farm labor workforce and the lack of attorneys and limits on DOL resources in terms of funding really do have a significant impact on APA's enforcement and how many farm workers are actually realizing the protections and seeing the protections of the Migrant and Seasonal Agricultural Worker Protection Act. Um, in terms of recommendations, Passage of immigration reform is a key recommendation as, as having a legal status with the path to citizenship really will enable farm workers to feel empowered in the workplace and to improve their wages and working conditions by enforcing the labor protections that are available to them and by seeking fuller labor protections. Um, APA also actually only covers migrant and seasonal farm workers. It does not cover year-round workers, and it also doesn't cover H-2A agricultural guest workers. So we really believe that APA needs to cover all agricultural workers, regardless of whether they're migrant workers, whether they're seasonal workers, or whether they're temporary guest workers. All farm workers need these very basic and fundamental protections that are offered by the Migrant and Seasonal Agricultural Worker Protection Act. Um, the fines and statutory damages under the law are very outdated, and even when the law was enacted, they were very modest. And so, of course, to provide incentives to employers to comply with the law, it is important that those be meaningful fines and damages, both to compensate the workers that suffer violations, but also to incentivize employers to comply with the law. Um, there are also recommendations to 
provide for attorney's fees to help farm workers seek private attorneys, and to hold growers responsible for any violation that occurs if they use an unlicensed farm labor contractor, and also to require farm labor contractors to post a bond so that even if the grower is not found jointly liable, the farm worker, I'm sorry, the farm labor contractor, him or herself, will have the funds available to make whole a farm worker where there was a violation. Um, if they've posted a bond, you can rely on that bond to ensure that there are funds for any violations that did occur that were found. Um, because the difficulty farm workers face because of their exclusion from the National Labor Relations Act um, is very significant, we believe APA should be expanded to include anti-retaliation language that protects farm workers who join or organize a labor union or engage in other concerted action. And of course, uh, we believe that the Department of Labor needs more resources to enforce APA. We also have recommendations that we make to the Department of Labor um, around some of its policies under the Migrant Seasonal Agricultural Worker Protection Act that would provide many meaningful um, differences on the ground in terms of some of the interpretations of some of those protections. Um, you know, basically, as a result of our opportunity to really examine this law, we did determine that it's an extremely important protection for farm workers, particularly given their exclusion from other labor and employment laws. It has a long history, um, and it really does take a look at the practice in agriculture of a high reliance on farm labor contractors by employers, um, and it attempts to regulate farm labor contractors and ensure that growers are also keeping an eye on the treatment of their workforce and responsible for the way that the workers are treated. Um, given the many challenges and barriers that farm workers face, the law has not been as meaningful as was hoped when it was passed, but we do believe that it's a very important law that if it's strengthened and if it's enforced in a more vigorous manner, that this is an extremely meaningful protection for farm workers that can help farm workers realize their goal of working with dignity and being treated fairly in the workplace. Those are a lot of uh, complex and challenging issues, and today I'm hoping we can focus a bit on the immigration aspects of it, and you mentioned the need for immigration reform and how that will help farm workers. Can you tell us what the status is of some of the major uh, pieces of legislation and how the farm workers fit into some of the pending legislation? Yes, um, there is actually specific, um, there are specific provisions addressing agriculture um, in both the House and the Senate. Um, farm workers represented by the United Farm Workers and Agricultural Employers in 2013 in the winter and spring engaged in intense negotiations to reach a stakeholder agreement. Uh, they were supported by a bipartisan group of senators, Senators Rubio, Feinstein, Bennett, and Hatch, and after months of very difficult negotiations, they were able to reach a compromise agreement, which did include you know, deep concessions by both sides that were made in order to reach an agreement. And the agreement includes both an earned legalization program for the current agricultural workforce that doesn't have immigration status, and also includes a new guest worker program 
that is intended to replace the H-2A guest worker program due to concerns that both farm worker advocates and agricultural employers have about the existing H-2A agricultural guest worker program. That stakeholder agreement was included in the Senate immigration bill that was passed out of the Senate in June, S-744, and in the House, it's included in H.R. 15, um, which is a um, piece of legislation that's um, very similar to the Senate bipartisan immigration bill, but also includes um, some specific House border security provisions. Um, in addition, in the House, Representative Goodlatte has introduced a very troubling agricultural guest worker bill. Um, H.R. 1773, the Agricultural Guest Worker Act. This is a very one-sided uh, guest worker-only proposal. There is no solution for the current agricultural workforce. He would allow current agricultural undocumented workers to continue to work in U.S. agriculture without actually giving them an immigration status, although then he would require them to self-deport after a short period of time, and then they could only return to the country if an employer sponsored them to come in the new um, agricultural guest worker program that he creates. And that new guest worker program is, is one of the harshest guest worker programs that we've seen proposed. It's even, it offers even fewer protections than a very notoriously abusive um, guest worker program called the Bracero program um, offered. So this program would um, basically it would allow employers to pay less than the minimum wage by requiring a mandatory 10% deduction of workers' wages that they would not see again until they returned to their home country and met a series of requirements. The protections in the United States are very minimal. Um, no housing would be provided, no transportation, um, very few protections in the workplace. And then on top of that, the workers' ability to seek judicial relief if they did suffer violations in the workplace are very minimal as he's, uh, Representative Goodlatte has limited worker eligibility for legal services, has also um, enabled employers to require mandatory binding arbitration. So workers who do suffer a violation who are able to find an attorney would actually have to pay half of the costs of that arbitration which again, when you're looking at a worker who is having to pay, who may be receiving less than the minimum wage, um, it, and at, on top of that may be suffering wage theft, you can imagine that would be very difficult for such a worker to pay um, for the, such a high cost to, to attempt to seek justice. So it's, it's a very troubling proposal from a moral perspective, from a practical perspective. It does not stabilize the current experienced agricultural workforce. And frankly, from a political perspective, um, it faces a number of challenges moving forward due to a lack of support. So um, we strongly um, have a lot of strong concerns about that proposal. Hmm. And as an immigration practitioner, I don't know that I've ever had a farm worker uh, come to my office, and I'm wondering why don't we see them in our offices more, and, and, and how could we improve our outreach, and what are some of the challenges to working with farm workers? Well, farm workers do um, have a number of barriers and challenges that may make it difficult for them to seek immigration relief even where they are eligible. 
Um, some of the barriers that may exist, depending, of course, on the farm worker and the region of the country that they're in, is that they are often in rural, very isolated areas. Um, so transportation can be a challenge. Um, many times if a worker is working with a farm labor contractor, the farm labor contractor may be transporting the worker from job to job, may also be providing housing, or the worker may be living on grower-provided housing. So again, that contributes to the isolation and the lack of access to transportation. Um, the work hours can be very intense as well, uh, with very little control over the work hours. So um, being able, and, and with very little leave, um, so sick leave, vacation leave, personal leave, or generally um, the exception rather than the norm in agriculture. So farm workers often wouldn't be able to take the time from work to go during business hours to seek immigration relief, even if they had the transportation um, or were near an immigration office. Um, there's also a, um, a language barrier for many farm workers. Uh, the majority of farm workers do speak Spanish, but increasingly we're seeing farm workers coming from southern Mexico and from Central America, from increasingly indigenous areas where workers may speak indigenous languages, many of which do not have uh, a written component, so literacy challenges can be a barrier as well. Um, and education levels in terms of having access to information about eligible, um, about immigration relief can also be a challenge due to the fact that the majority of farm workers, two-thirds actually, have fewer than 10 years of schooling. And as I mentioned before, very few um, speak English or those that do speak um, limited English. Um, and of course, there's the the lack of access to the justice system that I discussed earlier in, in terms of the um, Migrants Agriculture Worker Protection Act. So all of these really contribute to isolation and uh, difficulty that can make it challenging for farm workers to seek immigration relief for which they're eligible. The high poverty rate of farm workers can also be a barrier. Um, farm workers have double the poverty rate of other workers. It's seasonal work in many instances, so there may be long periods of un- or underemployment. And in the, the workplace, um, the wages are very low, with household incomes averaging less than 20000 per year. So. The cost for um, consulting with an attorney, or even if there are no um, costs, if it's a legal services provider that's not charging fees, the fees for the applications themselves, so for example, for DACA, may be a barrier for a worker, or may be something that they, you know, it will take them a while to accrue the savings to be able to come forward to seek relief under that program. Right, and there's some sense in the immigration nonprofit community that there are folks out in rural areas, perhaps including farm workers who may be uh, DACA eligible, or perhaps there are unaccompanied minors who would be interested, who would be eligible for special immigrant juvenile status, or in some cases, uh, victims of crime who would be eligible for U visas or other relief. And yet, uh, I think so many of us don't know exactly how to reach this population. And would be uh, would welcome suggestions for outreach or how we might change the way we deliver legal services to reach farm workers. Uh, yes, I think there are a lot of opportunities for collaboration with farm worker organizations that are on the ground in farm worker communities. Um, 
of course, again, in rural areas, there, there just may be a lack of infrastructure. But to the extent that there are farm worker organizations on the ground, they are often um, very open and willing to collaborate um, to do um, information sessions, both with the staff of those organizations, as well as with volunteers that they may have, as well as with um, farm workers themselves. Farm worker justice um, provides a lot of educational information on occupational safety and health issues through a promotora program where we are educating farm workers um, who are promotoras then within their own communities, which we find a very effective way to share information about protections that farm workers have in the workplace around occupational safety and health issues. And I think there's certainly opportunities for that around immigration relief as well. I think also creating materials um, that take into account the literacy challenges that farm workers may face, um, both in terms of limited English, but also in terms of limited literacy in Spanish and in a population that may not have um, a written language in their own native languages. So um, we sometimes work with organizations that prepare DVDs or CDs or um, do programming with radio stations to try to reach populations that have low literacy levels or speak a language in which there's not um, a common written component. And um, in many states, there are actually legal services groups that specifically work with farm worker populations where even if they themselves can't provide um, immigration services or can't represent um, undocumented farm workers, they are familiar with the communities and are able to share information that could be helpful to immigration service providers that are interested in improving their outreach to farm worker populations. Thank you. So how can we refer a client with farm worker related labor or other legal issues is one question I have. And then also where can we find out more? Where are the resources that um, immigration nonprofits and pro bono attorneys can connect to if they want to help farm workers with immigration issues? Well, um, one of our goals at Farm Worker Justice is to serve as a, um, a facilitator for the network of legal services organizations that do serve farm workers. So to, if someone on the ground um, encounters a farm worker who is experiencing a labor or, an, or employment problem, we would be happy to connect you with um, either a legal services group on the ground or if it's a worker that's not eligible for legal services to, um, to work with you to try to connect that farm worker with an attorney who might be able to represent them. Um, so our webpage is www.farmworkerjustice.org and our, um, there's contact information available on our webpage to connect you to us. Um, and we're happy to help facilitate those connections. Um, and I know that in California um, that the United Farm Workers Foundation also um, has immigration clinics that serve farm workers. So that's one resource on the ground. And we're happy to connect folks with other resources in other states. So again, um, shooting us an email or giving us a call, we're happy to try to facilitate those connections. Thank you. Is there anything else we should cover before we wrap up today? We talked a little bit about the H-2A program, mm -hmm. but for those who aren't familiar with it, um, the H-2A program is an agricultural guest worker program whereby employers can apply to bring 
foreign workers to the United States to do temporary agricultural work, if they can demonstrate that there aren't available U.S. workers and that bringing in the foreign workers doesn't adversely impact the wages and working conditions of U.S. workers. Um, there are a number of concerns with that program because the workers are tied to the employers. That means that they can only work for the employer that brought them into the country. And um, they can never become permanent members of our society through the H-2A program. So it's a non-immigrant visa, and they're not eligible to adjust to lawful permanent residency or otherwise permanently remain in the country. Um, unfortunately, during the recruitment abroad, we often see workers having to pay recruitment fees or being misled about the terms or conditions of the visa. And as a result, when workers arrive in the United States, um, they are vulnerable to abuse and exploitation in instances where they're in debt. They are desperate to keep their jobs and really do work to the limits of human endurance and are very unlikely to complain about wages and working conditions. And we have seen instances of trafficking um, with both H-2A workers and also, unfortunately, with undocumented workers um, because of their vulnerability in, in the workplace. And so I did want to highlight our concerns with that program. We have a report on the H-2A program as well called No Way to Treat a Guest that's available on our webpage along with the report on the APA um, protections, which is called Unfinished Harvest, the Agricultural Worker Protection Act at 30. Well, thank you, Adrian. And we've posted your report on our website as well, and I'd be yeah, happy wonderful. to post any other resources that you have, and I will include some of the connecting and contact information um, for folks who want to be in touch with uh, farm worker justice. This has been an interview with Adrian Dervartanian, Director of Immigration and Labor Rights at Farm Worker Justice. And we appreciate the work you're doing. It's compelling, important, and uh, hard to believe in this day and age that folks are still working under these conditions with so few rights and protections. And uh, thank you for your time and your work on this. And thank you for your interest in helping us lift up the contributions of farm workers and the challenges that they face. We appreciate it.